Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, February 19th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Key players in the GameStop trading episode appear before Congress. Inflation concerns spark a sell-off in U.S. Treasury bonds, plus the FT's editor, Rula Halaf, spoke with Emmanuel Macron. She'll tell us about her conversation with the French president and his plans to send COVID vaccines to poorer countries. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. In an interview with the Financial Times, French President Emmanuel Macron urged wealthy countries to help developing states have access to coronavirus vaccines. Speaking shortly before today's G7 summit, Macron said Europe and the United States should allocate up to 5% of their current vaccine supplies to poorer countries. Here he's speaking to the FT's editor, Rula Halaf, and Macron said developed countries are wrong if they think that treating vaccination in Africa and other poor countries is a secondary priority. He said wealthy countries have to act fast to prevent variants of the virus from emerging. He called it a global health priority. I spoke with Rula about her interview with the French president. She told me why Macron sees this as so urgent. I think because the supply of vaccines is uh, quite limited and um, attempts by uh, developing countries also through the COVAX initiative to get a hold of the vaccines will take uh, quite a while. And I think the concern is, his concern is that say everybody in Europe is vaccinated by the summer but a lot of people in most people in Africa are not vaccinated by the summer. But you can't sort of just close your borders, especially when you have uh, a big part of your population that has families uh, on, on the other side of the Mediterranean, as he says. So I think his point in arguing for a share, a very small share of current vaccines in Europe and in the U.S. to be for doses to be sent overseas is has to do with with urgency. This needs to happen rapidly. It can't wait. Rula, do you foresee problems in getting countries to do this? I think what he's doing is arguing for this so that it becomes an international policy. The problem, of course, and I think it's one that you see in the comments on our story, is that it's quite difficult when you've vaccinated so few people, particularly in Europe. But people will be saying, well, no, you know, why should I be sending my my vaccine to someone else. Given that supply is limited for everyone, I think that is really the difficulty that he will face. Rula, how did the French president come across to you? What what do you think this is all about for him? Is he just hoping to bring something big to the G7 summit today or or use the summit to bring forward his own mission? Um, Well, I mean, Macron is always uh, a man with, uh, with a mission. Um, I think some people in France see everything that he does within the context of domestic politics. I think that he he always has big ideas. I think that the challenge here is to be able to turn these ideas into practical steps and to convince others that this is needed and that it has to happen now. Vaccines are today... Uh, the biggest concern of every single country on on the planet. And sharing the vaccines, while everyone agrees that 
it is very important to vaccinate the world and that we will not get out of uh, COVID if there are mutations and more dangerous mutations that are happening some, somewhere else. I think everyone sort of accepts this conceptually, but how, how do you go about vaccinating the world? And that is what leaders are going to be discussing today. That was Rula Halaf, the editor of the Financial Times. And the French president's proposal was quickly rejected by the Biden administration. On Thursday, the U.S. said that vaccinating Americans is its top priority, and it wouldn't donate doses until there was enough supply for the U.S. But an official said that the U.S. would make $2 billion available for COVAX. That's the global vaccination effort started by the World Health Organization. U.S. lawmakers yesterday heard from key players in the GameStop saga. GameStop is the struggling U.S. video game retailer whose stock skyrocketed and then nosedived last month as it was bought and sold by traders congregating on the social media site Reddit. But the real focus of the virtual hearing was on Robinhood CEO Vlad Tenev. Members of Congress zeroed in on Robinhood's move to temporarily restrict users from buying shares in GameStop and certain other stocks. Here's Tenev's response at one point during the hearing. To our customers, I'm sorry and I apologize. Please know that we are doing everything we can to make sure this won't happen again. With me to talk about yesterday's hearing is the FT's U.S. Markets Editor, Eric Platt. Eric, what stood out most to you? I think the focus on Robin Hood and Vlad Tenov was quite striking, right? This was a committee hearing that could very quickly focused in on the big hedge funds who take short positions in the market. But instead, it was really about Tenov and Robin Hood and how the company had restricted trading, how it had faced a liquidity crisis, if you will, and how its own failures had prompted much greater turmoil in markets. There were really striking exchanges between several representatives and Tenev. It was interesting that the, I mean, several others, like Gabe Plotkin, Keith Gill, um, the CEO of Reddit, they didn't get much airtime today. It was the Vlad show, if you will. Eric, you mentioned a liquidity crisis. Let's unpack that a little bit. In another key moment in the hearing yesterday, Tenev admitted that at the height of the GameStop trading drama, his company didn't have the capital to meet the trading demands on the app. And this is important because at the time, he said in a CNBC interview, there was no liquidity problem. So what does yesterday's admission do to his credibility? I think this really you know, raises questions about um, kind of the faith you can, you can take in some of the statements that Robinhood made in the immediate aftermath of kind of the trading volatility, right? There were some really interesting exchanges between uh, Representative Anthony Gonzalez and Tenev, where they really went, you know, beat by beat on what had happened. You know, from Gonzalez, what was was interesting, what he said was figuring out that the day of January 28th, between 5 and 5 a.m. and 10 a.m., when Robinhood first got the capital call and when they kind of negotiated with uh, the clearinghouse to put in restrictions to ultimately reduce how much they had to send their way. Gonzalez characterized it as, you know, something that was scary to find out, right? That had this negotiation not worked out, had Robinhood failed to meet the capital requirement that the clearinghouse was posting, it could have really proven disastrous. Eric, what are you looking for coming out of this hearing? This is the key question, right? Will the House and Senate and policymakers in D.C. come out with prescriptive 
regulation that will be cover every brokerage, including the ones that weren't represented at the panel. I don't think that's really front and center right now. The, the focus here was so squarely on this one brokerage. Eric Platt is the FT's U.S. Markets Editor. Thank you, Eric. And in financial markets this week, bond prices tumbled as investors sold off U.S. government debt. The yield on the 10-year benchmark briefly rose to 1.3%. And oil prices also jumped, rekindling talk of oil at $100 a barrel. The FT's markets editor, Kitty Martin, is here to talk about both of these things. Kitty, let's start with bonds. It seems the specter haunting investors is inflation. Are they right to be worried? Well, whether they're right or not is another question, but they definitely are a bit worried. There's something cooking in the US government bond market, which is the bedrock on which all other markets are effectively based. There's been a sell-off running for about the past six weeks, and it's quite sizable now. So yields, as you say, have touched about 1.3% on the 10-year note this week. In early January, they were more like 1%. Now, that sounds like a tiny, tiny difference, and in a way it is. But because this is so important to other parts of the market, it's something that people watch really carefully. The real danger is that if all the stimulus that we've had going into the system actually works, then it's quite likely that people rush out to restaurants, they rush on holiday, they go shopping, they go a bit crazy and have far too much fun. And that starts pushing up inflation. And that's bad news for bonds because it eats away at the fixed returns that you get from these fixed income instruments. So that's bad news if you hold the bonds, but it also could be bad news if you hold equities, because one of the really main reasons why equity markets have sailed up to record highs is precisely because bond yields are so low. So if they kick higher in a more dramatic fashion than they're doing already, then that could really start to be a bit of a wake up call that stocks kind of shouldn't be where they are. So, Katie, oil prices hit nearly $65 a barrel, and there's chatter that oil could go all the way back up to $100 a barrel. What's going on here? Because we're a long way away from oil prices going negative like they did last year. Yeah, they were fun times. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> actually, it's kind of related, right? So, again, if all of this stimulus works in firing up economies that have really been hit hard by COVID, then that should mean that demand for oil rises pretty fast. So if we get a surge in demand layered on top of the underinvestment that there's been in oil production over the past few years, then it's definitely possible that prices could kick significantly higher. Goldman Sachs is talking about reaching $80 or so. JP Morgan is saying, look, you know, 100 can't be ruled out. The really big debate here, though, is whether this is effectively what we call a dead cap bounce. You know, ultimately, we're all going to switch to electric vehicles. We're not going to need oil in the same way that we do now. But we're really caught in quite a delicate moment for the oil market now. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Fiona Simon and me, Mark Filipino. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help from Gavin Coleman, Michael Bruning, and Amy Keane. Our theme song is by Metaphor Music. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor. What's a mistake they made that changed their approach? 
And how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Hi, this is Matt. And Sean. From Two Black Guys. With good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.